one of the pastors here. Uh, it's a joy to be with you on this uh, lovely Sunday. Uh, just one uh, quick announcement here before we have our scripture reader come up. Uh, if you are looking to uh, embrace some church community, some fellowship, we are forming and launching our life transformation groups uh, that will will launch uh, September 18th, or the, the week of September 18th. Uh, life transformation groups are small groups of three to four people, the same gender, that meet three times a month uh, starting next Sunday. Uh, and the, the cool thing about this is that they can meet kind of all different times of the day all throughout the week. You could do Sunday brunch, or you could meet on Cornerstone's campus, or you could do an early morning before work, or late night, or, or whatever. It can be really flexible, <clears throat> um, just so you have a visual of what it could look like. This is my happy place. We had a photographer in my LTG, and uh, he snapped this photo. This is at Roots Coffee Shop with my brother Jason and the Bible and coffee. That's, that's my happy place. So maybe that, could, that you could find your happy place in a life transformation group. Uh, the, if you're wondering, what do you actually do when you get together in a life transformation group? Uh, we have this simple rhythm that we try to work through uh, every week. Um, it's meant to be kind of like a, a structure, you know, that, that can provide some rails to run on, not something super rigid. But we start with gratitude, uh, practicing gratitude, looking back on our week and say, what what, what has God done in my life this week? Where have I seen God's grace in my life? And then we get to repentance and faith, where we are sharing what, what were we anxious about? Where, where did my, my emotions flare up? What relationships were hard this week? And what might God be showing me about where I'm struggling to believe the gospel, or I'm living out of a false narrative that's not that I'm God's beloved child, but some other narrative the world's put on me. And then, and then our, our brothers and sisters move towards us. This is my favorite thing about Life Transformation Group, that we we share our weakness and our struggle, and our brothers and sisters move towards us in love with the gospel, because uh, the secret's out. We, we know if you're a human, yeah, you're broken and fallen. Uh, you don't have to pretend, and we can, we can speak the gospel to each other. And then we get into life rhythms, because we want to get these uh, gospel truths into our days, into our, our Monday through Saturdays, uh, and how, how can we live like the gospel's true, live like God is our Father, and then we pray for each other. And I, I, this is my, one of my favorite times, because it's really protected to like, pray for the people in your group. You know, this is, there's space to pray for your aunts and uncles and other people all, all throughout the world or whatever. But this is a t- time where people who know you uh, can lift you up before, before your king uh, by name. So that's the, that's the general rhythm. Uh, if you'd like to join one, uh, you can uh, sign up on our website. Uh, we're also on Slack. If you're on there, uh, there's a sign-up sheet that w- or a form that will just give me your availability, and we'll try to uh, put people together. And if you'd still like some more information, next Sunday after the gathering, we're going to have pizza and kind of a lunch and learn on what life transformation groups are like directly uh, below us, directly after the gathering next Sunday. So stick around for that. Uh, let me just pray super briefly for our LTGs that we're launching, and then I'll, I'll hand the mic off. Father, we just praise you that we can call you Father through Jesus' work on the cross um, that adopts us into your family as brothers and sisters. Uh, thank you that we can be known. Thank you that we can uh, embrace community where instead of uh, people moving away when we let ugly parts of us show, uh, people move towards us in love and grace in the gospel. I pray that would be, that would be the experience, the reality that we are going for here. Uh, Father, would you just bless the formation of the groups? Would you bless the time that people would set, start, set apart to be the church together? In Jesus' name, amen. Here you go. Oh, I must have turned that thing off there. Do I need to do- totally restart that? No, I can project. For those of you who are online following, sorry, just uh, switch the mic back on. We are just diving in to our series on the gospel according to Mark, and I couldn't be 
more excited uh, to be doing that together uh, with all of you. And as I've been preparing to get back into Mark's gospel, I have been riveted by Amazon's new billion-dollar Rings of Power series. Anybody into that strange world of Middle Earth here? Okay, we have a few people in the house. Uh, If you know me, I am like a major Tolkien, like Lord of the Rings nerd. And so like right down to the most obscure, like, I mean, I read like Farmer Gillies of Ham, like forget like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Like, I mean, when it comes to obscurity, I I love it all. And so needless to say, I have been pretty excited by a new addition to uh, Middle Earth. And while Rings of Power introduces some new characters, its primary focus is on the backstory of two beloved characters from The Lord of the Rings, Galadriel and Elrond. And so the series introduces you to this lush world of Middle-earth and all of these incredible narratives and stories that um, I grew up reading and now I'm sharing with my kids. And so uh, it's pretty exciting. I'm excited that this new series is going to be able to introduce a whole new generation to these beautiful stories of Middle Earth, and as I was, now I realize some of you are probably rolling your eyes right now, like my wife, uh, any talk of orcs and elves and dragons and rings of power, I get it, why would anyone spend a billion dollars trying to bring this to uh, the big screen, you know, I can understand, and I'd love to spend hours talking over that with you with coffee, sometime the value of fantasy, while we all need a little of that in our lives, but what really struck me as I was preparing for this series on Mark's gospel is just as this series is introducing a whole new generation of people to the Lord of the Rings, the world of Middle Earth, what Mark is doing in his gospel is introducing a whole new generation to the life of Jesus. For those that weren't able to experience Jesus in the flesh, to see Jesus performing the miracles that he was doing, the teaching on the kingdom of God, casting out demons, stilling storms, Mark is going to provide the first written account of the life of Jesus for people all over the first century. We're wondering what is going on with this crazy Jesus movement that started in this backwater province of Jerusalem and is now spreading like wildfire all over the Roman Empire. You know, by the time, you know, the the gospel writings are done, I mean this this gospel would spread all the way to Rome, to the capital of the Roman Empire was now spreading to the uttermost ends of the earth. And and what's exciting about this story that we're reading, it's not just a great fantasy like uh, Tolkien put together, uh, not just a great story. This is the true story of the whole world. Tolkien said it this way. I love this. He said, the gospel story of Jesus is not one more story pointing to the underlying underlying reality. Rather, Jesus is the underlying reality to which all the stories Point. And so as we dive into Mark's gospel, right, we're looking at reality itself, right? We're getting to the reality that all the other stories point us to. And that's why people are still amazed by Jesus today. Just to give you one quick testimony to that point, fast forwarding from the nerdy world of Lord of the Rings, the number one album streaming in Apple in the U.S. last week, DJ Khalid's God Did, features the artist Eminem rapping about his struggle with mental health and finding Jesus as his good shepherd in a remix of Kanye West's Use This Gospel. Now, I don't know what weird and crazy world or time warp we're in where we have Kanye West, where we have Eminem rapping about Jesus and finding healing for their souls and like mental health 
in the world. I mean, it is a bizarre and crazy world that we're living in for a child that grew up in the 90s and late 2000s listening to Eminem and being very disturbed by, uh, by his original offerings to the world of rap music. Um, I mean, it's crazy that this is the guy is that rapping about finding healing, health, and salvation. And Jesus, I, I have no idea where Eminem is at on his journey. He's probably going to do a bunch of other crazy things like Kanye. But Jesus is still making headlines here in 2022. And I think that's significant. People are still being amazed by Jesus. And as we're diving into Mark's series, man, I want you to see it. Jesus is alive. He's still making waves in our culture. He's still grabbing headlines. He's still changing lives. He's still transforming people. Um, And we're going to get an opportunity to dig deeply into his life over the course of this year. And we're jumping right in. Um, If you were around for the summer, we started this series back early in the summer. So we're jumping in kind of mid-life here, and we're jumping into Mark chapter 4, one of Jesus' most famous miracles, right? This wonderful miracle of Jesus calming the storm. And so in this uh, series, we're going to see four things this morning I want you to be looking for in our text And uh, as you're following along in your Bible, which you're going to need, because we're going to be digging in deep this morning. Um, So we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And here's what I want you to be uh, looking out for as we are working our way through that text here. We're going to be noticing that we have a sleeping Savior, Uh, some fearful fishermen, uh, the Lord of the storm, and, and a doorway to faith. Uh, we're going to see a sleeping Savior, some fearful fishermen, the Lord of the storm, and a doorway to faith. And the big question at the heart of this text and this sermon is given us by the disciples in verse 41. They say, who is this, right, that even the wind and the waves obey him? So I've got a little visual for you from the Bible Project. Uh, if you don't follow along with the Bible Project, they bring these Bible stories to light, do dramatic illustrations with that, and I've got this little visual there of Jesus hanging out in the boat and his disciples just wrestling, who is this guy really? Who is he? And so this week, hopefully, that image can kind of be in your head of Jesus just hanging out in the boat and the disciples just going, who is this man, right, that even the wind and the waves of him? So before we dive in this morning and get to look more closely, let's just pray as we enter into our sermon this morning. And so, Father, Uh, As we have an opportunity to study the life of Jesus this morning, I pray that there would be uh, just a sanctified curiosity to know him more deeply. Uh, The danger in an area like Grand Rapids, our own little Bible Belt, is that we think we know who Jesus is, and so we can just check out from the sermon. We can just tune out because we've heard all this before, been there done that, bought the t-shirt. And so, Father, I pray uh, that this morning you would give us fresh eyes to see Jesus be amazed by who he is and what he's done. And not only that we'd be amazed like the crowds around him, but that we would wholeheartedly follow him together. We would be a community uh, that doesn't just hear what Jesus uh, teaches, but we would be people that do what he says and that you'd get all the glory as we Give our lives over to following him. And so we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's set the scene this morning for our story here in Mark 4. Uh, Jesus is in the midst of an incredibly busy ministry campaign around the Sea of Galilee. He's been preaching about the kingdom of God. He's been teaching. He's been casting out demons and healing the sick. 
surrounded by crowds from morning until evening. It's that so crazy in chapter 3 that Jesus had a boat prepared so he and his disciples didn't get crushed by the crowds that were just surrounding him, just leaning in, just wanting to be with Jesus. Uh, by chapter 4, he gets into that boat and starts preaching to the crowds about the kingdom of heaven. And then here in chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus decides it's time, and we don't know why, to go over to the other side of the sea. We don't know if he just needs like a break because he's exhausted by the ministry at which he's undertaken, or because he's got ministry to do on the other side of the lake, which we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 5 uh, next week. But either way, they, they pack up in a boat, and they take Jesus along, just as he is. Um, they don't stop back at the shore. Their boat's set off to the other side of this great lake or inland sea, uh, depending if you've been there. And in the middle of their trip over there, a massive storm sweeps up on the sea. And so if you've ever been to that region, to Israel, and you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you know today crazy storms come through there because you have this massive elevation shift from Mount Hermon all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, which is way below sea level. They get these crazy storms that whip up through there. And so this is a crazy area, right? The word here in Greek, actually, for, uh, for the storm that comes in the ship is the same word we have for a hurricane, a gale. A massive storm sweeps up off the sea. And so you can picture the scene, right? If you close your eyes for a moment there, it's evening. You know, the disciples are all heading across the sea. And all of a sudden, as it's getting dark, like the wind is whipping up, the waves are crashing, the boat is filling with water, People are starting to freak out. This is going to be a serious situation. But I want you to see, in the midst of all this chaos, where is Jesus? In contrast to the storm raging around him, Jesus is fast asleep on a cushion. In the stern of verse 38, uh, we see, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And so Jesus is just, you know, in the midst of storm, wind, waves, you know, he's out cold, and obviously intense season of ministry. Um, he's exhausted, he's tired, he's put in a full day's work, and has just crashed out. But I think there's something else we can see from this text, and I think it's pretty beautiful. I think it tells us how comfortable Jesus was resting in his Father's care, right? Storms are raging around him, but Jesus is perfectly at peace. I love this picture of Jesus that Mark captures for us, because I want that for my own life. I don't, I don't know about you, but like as a parent and as a pastor, I, love, I would love to be this calm in a crisis. You know, we're heading across the storm and like Jesus is just sleeping, man. He is relaxed. He has entrusted everything to his father's care. And so he goes and takes a nap. Uh, the uh, novelist Victor Hugo had a great line, which I thought I'd throw for the, you know, go to sleep in peace. God is awake. Right? Jesus is just epitomizing the reality of this. He's just crashed out sleeping completely at peace in his father's care and trusting him. And I love that. I want that for my own life. I, I just looking at this portrait of Jesus just makes me marvel at the Savior that we have. Sovereign over the universe at one moment, but sleeping at the next, completely at rest, completely at peace in his father's care. Wouldn't you want to be in that position? I know for myself as well to be that at rest, that at peace in the care of God, our Father, for us. It's a beautiful picture uh, for each of us here. The disciples, on the other hand, are kind of freaking out. So if you read along in the second half 
of verse 38, uh, we have a striking contrast here, right? Jesus is in the stern. He's asleep on the cushion, just peace and tranquility there. Uh, And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Right? They're like, they're freaking out. And we have to remember like that these are like several of these disciples are seasoned fishermen, right? They have been fishing on this lake their entire lives, but they are convinced that this storm is going to sink them. This one is going to finish them off. Um, They have lost control of the boat. It is rapidly filling with water and they are going down, right? So in desperation, they wake Jesus up, and I love how Mark captures the disciples' response, right? It's exactly the response of desperate and terrified people, right? They're wondering, how could Jesus be sleeping through all this chaos? Like, what is wrong with you, Jesus? Their question is as much an accusation as it is a plea for help. Like, don't you care? Like, clearly you don't because you're missing out on this. I don't know about you, but this is definitely where I would be. Yeah, full disclosure, right in the middle of a storm, like freaking out, right? And when we're freaking out, it's maddening to see people that are perfectly calm and composed, isn't it? You're like, are you not seeing what what we're seeing around us here? Are we like, like, there's a storm, like the ship is sinking, we're going down, and Jesus is just, he's just chilling, he's just sleeping. Like, Like, do you not understand the situation in which we're in? Do you not see what's going on around us, Jesus? Like, It's very disorienting, isn't it? The disciples are terrified, they're distressed, they're disoriented, like they are a mess. And I wonder, have you ever found yourself in the position the disciples are in? Distressed, disorienting, wondering if God even recognizes the situation you find yourself in? Does God really care? God, are you really present? Can't you see that we're perishing here, that we're drowning? Like, we're going under here, right? If we continue in this current season of our lives, this situation of our lives, right? These are the kind of questions, right, the disciples are asking, and these are the kind of questions, if we're honest and self-aware, we find ourselves asking quite a lot in our own life as we go through the, the storms in our own life. As I was preparing just for this sermon, I was thinking of two seasons in my life where I felt like, man, I'm going down. Like, <laughs> the ship is going to sink. And I don't know if God is really present or not. The, the first episode was a season where I just moved. I grew up, some of you guys know, I grew up on a summer camp in the mountains of Pennsylvania, like the absolute paradise uh, for growing up as a kid. Like, you know, I had my own horses, my own gym, like, you know, at my own, like, archery range. Like, it was amazing. And then uh, my dad kind of retired, kind of got burned out of camp ministry. We moved to South Jersey, to this really crazy redneck part of, part of New Jersey. Um, and it was just miserable, you know? I just felt, it, the word I was thinking of is just God forsaken. It just felt like, man, I'm in this beautiful place where God is moving and powerful ministry is happening. I'm in this spectacularly beautiful natural place. And I moved to this just backwater kind of redneck place in South Jersey and just felt just utterly abandoned. I got in my freshman year of high school too. So and that puts it into perspective, you know, lots of major change going on. Not a great time to just move and make totally new friends. Uh, but that second season I think of and uh, is a season just a couple of years ago when my wife and I lost um, our, what would have been our fifth son, Noah, in a miscarriage kind of late in our pregnancy. I could still remember just getting the call from my wife, you know, while she is at the uh, ultrasound, just checking up, just routine check up on the baby and just 
getting this call, you know, that we'd lost the baby and just feeling just a sense of total shock and bewilderment and wondering, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this situation? You know, where are you at? You just feel very abandoned by God, very helpless, very powerless in that situation to do absolutely anything. I don't know if there are scenes that are flashing before your mind right now of where you've walked through some seasons of storm in your life, seasons where you just felt like you were going down. But this is one of those moments here for the disciples and for any disciple of Jesus, right? When we get into the storms of life and we wonder, God, where are you in this situation? And so here we are in the midst of the storm. The disciples wake Jesus up. What's he going to do, right? What can Jesus do? They're in the middle of a storm, right? The ship is about to sink. And so we pick it up again here, if you're following along with me, in verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus, in verse 39 and 40, demonstrates that he is Lord of the storm. He is sovereign over this storm. Jesus calmly rebukes the wind and the waves as if he's rebuking an unruly toddler. (laughs) Just immediately, the wind and the waves are calm. Can you imagine the setting there? Just go from this original thing you're envisioning. It's dark, the wind, the waves, the sea, your ship is sinking, And just imagine Jesus wakes up and just with a word, quiets the wind and the waves. And can you just imagine with me, just the sun coming out, like through the clouds, like, you know, the water just calming, and then it's all just a sea of glass. I don't know if you've ever been out on like Lake Michigan when it's just like perfectly smooth and you're just like, wow, like so spectacular. This is where the disciples are, this perfect calm, this perfect Stillness. This is where the disciples are at. You know, they go from chaos to this perfect calm. And, and they're beginning to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, right? The same, same God who brought order out of the original chaos of the sea and creation is once again stilling the sea. The same God who parted the Red Sea for his people is making a way for his disciples. The same words used to describe God's action in salvation in Psalm 107.29, where we read that God made the storms to be still and the waves and the sea were hushed. Here they are describing Jesus and his work in history. The same God who stilled the storm after disobedient Jonah was thrown into the sea is now stilling the storm for Jesus and his disciples. Right? Jesus is demonstrating his supremacy and sovereignty over the storm. If the storm is big, right? Jesus is greater still. And Jesus takes this teachable moment to say, why are you afraid? Why are you so fearful? And uh, obviously a lot easier to do that now that the waters are calm, the waves have washed away. In the stillness, they're able to reflect on what is going on. It's like Jesus is saying, didn't you believe I'm perfectly in control of the elements? Don't you believe that I'm sovereign over storms? Don't you believe I'm rolling back all the effects of the fall? I can heal sickness I can cast out demons. I can still storms. Like, this is what I do. Don't you believe I'm ultimately going to make everything sad come untrue in the world? And you could just imagine the disciples at this point just kind of like, whoa, whoa, 
whoa, who is this man, right? That's the question we're going to get to. And then he asked a searching follow-up question. Have you still no faith, right? After all they've seen him do, don't you trust me yet? Having walked with me for the, the length of season, they've walked with him, right? Don't you, don't you trust me yet? Don't you know that I've got you in this situation? It's a gentle rebuke and an invitation at the same time, right? It's an opportunity for the disciples to move from believing that Jesus is the Messiah in their hearts to actually living like it's true, to actually putting their faith and trust in him and living like it's actually true. I don't know who came up with it first, but I love the chair illustration. Oh, and someone stole my chair too. <laughs> I had a chair sitting right here before the sermon, and I don't know who stole it, but I'm going to... I'm going to grab another chair over here. Here, I'm going to grab another. It's, one, it's now the stool illustration, apparently. <laughs> it's, it's one thing to believe that the stool, right, has been engineered for human beings to sit on, right? You know, you, you know some engineer put this chair together, they manufactured it and, uh, to be seated. And so, but it's another thing to, like, actually sit down on it, right? Because, you know, depending on who built it, if my... Uh, you know, if one of your toddlers built it, you would probably not really want to trust the chair. But, but if a great engineer from Steelcase or something put this together, right, you can trust the chair, right? You can count on it. You can put all of your weight on it. You can sit on it and trust that this chair is going to sit here and I'm not going to collapse and fall off the stage and all. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is doing here. He's saying, don't you trust me? Do you, are you willing to actually put your weight here on me? Are you actually one to depend on me when those storms come, when the wind whips, when the waves come in your life? Are you willing to trust me? Because Jesus wants them to see that if he's in the boat, everything's going to be okay, right? That's the, that's the lesson. That's the teachable moment here. If Jesus is in the boat with us, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. Wind are going to come. Waves are going to happen. We live in a fallen and broken world. But if Jesus is in the boat, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. That's the beautiful message that Jesus is driving home for us this morning. And I'm going to put the stool back here for the uh, piano player here. How do the disciples respond to this challenge from Jesus? I, I love what we read here. If you're following along again in verse 41, notice what Jesus says. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, they're filled with great fear. Notice, before they were afraid, they are freaking out, perishing. Now they're filled with a great fear. <laughs> the fear just got greater, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this person? What I want you to see here is the disciples go from being afraid to having a great fear. Just like they go from a great storm, now they have a great fear. And what I want you to see is that this fear can be a doorway to faith. It's interesting, right, as the disciples are encountering Jesus. I mean, they're stunned by his power. But rather than diminishing their fear, this miracle actually increases it. But it's a different kind of fear altogether, isn't it? Right? It's quite natural to be afraid of drowning. I mean, I am terrified of drowning. That would be a terrible thing, terrible way to go. But what do you do with someone who can calm the wind and the waves? Like, that's even more terrifying. Right? We're far more familiar with the painful realities of life in a fallen world, ships sinking, you know, storms coming, people dying, uh, than we are with the supernatural power of God himself at work among us. Right? That, 
That would be even more shocking. That would be even more terrifying if you can imagine. The disciples were fishermen, right? They'd experienced ships going down, people dying, bad things happening. But Jesus stilling the storms was even more terrifying. They, they are seeing the creator stilling his unruly creation. And their fear and terror of the storm have been transposed to awe and wonder at the power of the person sitting in their boat. And this fear is a recurring theme in Mark's gospel, as we notice. Fear comes in at significant points. We see it at the transfiguration, right, when Jesus' glory is revealed. We see it after Jesus' resurrection and Mark's dramatic conclusion. In those moments, right, it's like the blinders come off and people see Jesus and all of his glory and his majesty and his splendor, and they're just like undone, like by who he is and what he's done, that fear becomes a gateway to faith, recognizing who Jesus is, his majesty, um, his sovereignty, becomes a doorway to faith. There's a beautiful passage in Kenneth Graham's book, The Wind in the Willows, that captures this beautifully. If you've ever read it, it's a charming little story of talking animals and stuff. And in that story, uh, there's this beautiful quote there, suddenly the mole felt a great awe fall upon him, an awe that turned his muscles to water, bowed his head, and rooted his feet to the ground. It was no panic terror. Indeed, he felt wonderfully at peace and happy. Rat, he found breath to whisper, shaking. Are you afraid? Afraid, murmured the rat, his eyes shining with unutterable love. Afraid of him? Oh, never, never. And yet, and yet, O oh mole, I am afraid. And then the two animals, crouching to the earth, bowed their heads and did worship, right? There's this beautiful scene in this book, right? These two animals, cute talking animals, right? Encountered with like the God figure in the book, right? Are totally undone by the majesty and the wonder of this person. And the disciples themselves are in this same position, which leads them to ask the burning question in Mark's gospel, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Or as the picture says, who is he really? Who is this person for real? And so we have to stop and take some stock in our lives. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in your life? Maybe you're a bit skeptical, right? This all seems a little bit too good to be true. Here's the the Savior stilling storms. Like, wouldn't that be nice in our world? And if you're skeptical, you are certainly in good company with some of Jesus' own disciples. We have the great classic Doubting Thomas, the patron saint of all skeptics, right? But the consistently supernatural nature of Jesus' ministry overcame the doubts of even the most skeptical, especially after the resurrection. So don't simply check out because you have questions or doubts. Put Jesus to the test. That's the invitation in this text. Wake him up and see if he doesn't meet you in the midst of the storms happening in your life. Uh, that, that waking up, Jesus, is an invitation of prayer to cry out to God in the midst of whatever we're going through, whether you're skeptical, whether you're a seeker, whether you're a Christian, uh, we have a beautiful opportunity, beautiful exhortation. Wake Jesus up <laughs> in that sense. Cry out to him. See if he doesn't actually intervene in the storms in your life. Maybe you're a seeker, right? You've heard about Jesus, want to learn more. Well, we're so happy you're here. This season is designed for you to be able to learn about the life of Jesus. Mark wrote this gospel so that we could explore the life of Jesus, and we want you to be a part of a community of people following Jesus together, trying to figure out what this looks like right here in our own, our own cultural moment, right here in Grand Rapids, 2020, 2020, 2020. We want to see that happen.
maybe you're more of a, just a cultural Christian, uh, just growing up in Grand Rapids, you can check the belief in God box, uh, but your faith isn't real. It's not a living reality, right? You just grew up in Grand Rapids, and so, you know, you just go to church, by, and that's what we do in Grand Rapids, right? All cars go on autopilot to church on Sunday morning, and everyone shows up at church in their Sunday best, looking great, and that's just what we do, right? Because we're in Grand Rapids. It's our own little Bible belt, you know, Jerusalem, the holy city. Everybody's Christians around here. It's kind of in the water and whatnot. And so for you, I would challenge you, man, if you're you just grew up in the church, but it's never really had an actual significant impact on your life. If you've never actually sat in the chair, if you've never actually tested if Jesus could hold the weight of your cares and your troubles and your trials and the greater purpose that you're looking for in your life, we're hoping this series would help you move into that position in your journey of faith, to actually put your weight and trust and faith in Jesus and be swept up into the great story that he has for you. Become a part of this church family here and be a part of God's great kingdom work that's happening in the world. And if Jesus can calm wind and waves, man, there's no telling what he might do among us here as we seek to follow him here in Grand Rapids and plant churches here in our country and around the world, send out missionaries, uh, yeah, serve uh, all the needs in our city. Who knows what might happen? Now, it's important for us to remember that the disciples are only just starting to get to know Jesus, right? This is why they question both Jesus' power and care. They have no idea the extent to which Jesus will go to care for them. Jesus' whole life is a life of care and compassion. His whole ministry is a mission of mercy. Certainly no storm is going to stop him. But there's a sense in which Jesus' mission of mercy will bring him into a much greater storm, right? The ultimate storm of God's wrath on the cross for all the mess we have made of our lives and the mess that we have made of our world. Jesus is going to take the weight of all the sins of the world on himself at the cross and bear them in our place, right? The disciples have no way of knowing this. They have no way of seeing the depth of Jesus' love for them. Here they've gotten a, a glimpse into Jesus' incredible power, but they still don't have a sense of the depth of his love for him, that he would give his life in exchange for theirs, that he would go to the cross in their place for their sins. That's the kind of Savior we have. That's the kind of love that we have. And so we wonder, does God really care about me? Does God really care about my circumstances? Does God know that I'm perishing right now? Does God know the pain uh, and the difficulties I'm walking through? Right? When we find ourselves in that position, the invitation the gospel writers have for us, right, we wonder, does God really care? The invitation is go to the cross where we see God's love displayed for us once and for all. The depth and breadth and height of God's love for us poured out in Jesus' death on our behalf. Right? That's the thing the disciples are missing, the decisive moment where God is going to display once and for all his commitment, his love, and his care for his people. And of course, that's not the end of the story. Right? Jesus rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is seated on his throne, and he has sent his Spirit to be with us through all the storms that remain in our lives, to be God's presence in the boat with us wherever we're at and whatever we are going through. God's Spirit is here. He's present. He's active. He's moving among us, even right now. 
Do you have that confidence, that assurance in your own heart and life this morning that, Jesus, that if Jesus is in the boat, you're going to be okay? Do you feel that? Do you sense that deep in your, in your gut that God is with you? He's for you, whatever storms come. If you don't, of course, uh, that's, that's where so many of us find ourselves. And I want to close with a quote from the Rings of Power coming full circle back to where I started that points us, I hope, in the right direction. Uh, in the opening sequence in the Rings of Power, Galadriel's older brother says this. It's kind of small there. I don't know if you'll be able to read it, but I'm going to read it out there. Do you know why ships float and a stone cannot? Because the stone sees only downward. The darkness of the water is vast and irresistible. The ship feels the darkness as well, striving moment by moment to master her and pull her under. But the ship has a secret, for unlike the stone, her gaze is not downward but up, fixed upon the light that guides her, whispering of grander things than darkness ever knew. I love that quote, right, as we're thinking and lifting our eyes, but, but Galadriel responds. She says, but, but sometimes the light shines just as brightly reflected in the water as they do in the sky. It's hard to say which way is up and which way is down. How am I to know which lights to follow, right? Don't you feel that sometimes? How do we know which lights to follow? Well, the answer may be different for the elves here in the, the rings of power, but for Christians, The inescapable answer is that we fix our eyes on Christ, the true light of the world. He is our North Star guiding us all the way home. And if he's in the boat with us by his spirit, everything is going to be okay. And so we get an opportunity uh, right now to gather around the Lord's table and share a meal with him, to sense that reassurance that God is with us and for us. But I want to pray as we prepare for this time around the table Uh, that we would feel that in our own hearts. Uh, Father, we're here this morning because we have a conviction that Jesus is alive, that he is present with us this morning, and that his presence makes all the difference. Whatever storms we're going through, whatever wind and waves are are whipping up in our lives at this moment, God, we uh, trust that you are here, you are present, and you want to meet with us, God. And so I pray for any person that's going to be gathering around this table uh, today, that they would sense that they don't eat this meal alone, but that you are here, you're present with us, and want to meet us in the midst of you. Pray for just a tangible expression of your spirit to anyone in a storm this morning, anyone walking through a storm, that they would sense the very presence of Jesus with them. Pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.